0: back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and sitting next to me, the one, the only, Ray Jewell. Ray, welcome back.
1: Thanks, Kevin. Always good to be here, even though we touch on some things that can cause controversy, but that's what we do.
0: And today is no different, because we are wrapping up our series on the five points of Calvinism. This is the last episode in that series, and this is the debate episode I wish I had some, like, scary music or something that's
1: heard here.
0: (laughs) So, uh, as you guys know, we've been going through the five points of Calvinism, and last week we gave Ray a chance to rebut that. As you know that Ray and I uh, come from different perspectives here, different traditions and different viewpoints. Ray's an Armenian, I'm a Calvinist. And somehow we make it work.
1: We're both Christians. Yes,
0: we are both Christians. That's, well, that's how we make it work. I'm just a better Christian. No, uh, no. Um, so, God uh, or danger to be. <laughs> so we want to discuss here in that with with that foundation that we are both Christian brothers. We're, we're both going to be in heaven someday. Um, Ray's going to get there first, but um, <laughs> well,
1: theoretically, anyway.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, but. Uh, with that foundation, that we're we're not uh, casting each other as heretics or as unsaved or whatever, this is an in-house debate between two friends, and uh, but it's, but it's a significant issue, and so we want to discuss those differences and what possibly could be some similarities, some agreements on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, I, I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and compare us to uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley. Uh, who both disagreed on this issue, both great evangelists, and I, I'm going to basically compare myself to George Whitfield. I figured you would. Um, that's, that's... And I think that my preaching someday will lead to a great awakening. Um, I'm, I'm surprised it hasn't happened. No. Okay. okay. Um, as a Calvinist, I'm supposed to be humble, but uh, I'm not really good at that. So, anyway. Um, I think
1: the first thing that we can say about yeah. that that we definitely agree on is the sovereignty of God. Yes. You know, I, 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 I know that uh, that's the starting point for the Calvinist position. Right. And um, not often is it the starting point for the Arminian position yeah. for some unknown reason to me because that's where we should start. I mean, God is sovereign. Of course, now the way that I would say it is He in his sovereignty, he gave people free will. I don't think that... that uh, God's sovereignty and free will of man is uh, exclusive of each other. I think that one comes from the other.
0: And, and I would agree to an extent that God gave man free will, but that then man in the garden used that free will and condemned us all mm-hmm. um, through his act of sin, introduced sin into the world. So, Ray, I want to ask you this. Um, in terms of sovereignty, so we both agree that God is sovereign and that before the foundation of the world set a plan in motion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, let me ask you this. In terms of that, is there much of a difference between me saying God, before the foundation of the world, elected some to be saved, passing over others, which is basically your unconditional election. Is there a difference between me saying that and, and, and you saying, well, God created a world. He knew what the end would be. So, God created a world knowing certain people would be saved and certain people would be unsaved.
1: Well, I think that there's the difference comes in um, the degree of that. You know, what a Calvinist says is God knows who's going to make it and who's not. A Romanian says, you know, God has not determined
0: that. But does God know that from the beginning does of the he, world? Does he know who will come? Yeah.
1: Oh, golly. I don't know. That's that's a hard one. Um, I mean...
0: Because God knows the end from the beginning and God knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. He got created a world knowing that anyway.
1: Well, I don't... I just don't see how that actually works with his desire. His oh, was that like some kind of signal that I'm done.
0: <laughs> his desire. There's gonna be another one in three minutes.
1: His desire to uh, to see everyone come to him, and that you know he he wants everyone to come to him, so um, he can know it, I suppose, but he doesn't determine it.
0: But is there a difference? Because if, yeah. he, if he if he creates a world knowing that certain people are never going to be saved, then isn't that the same thing as making a choice?
1: Who's making a choice?
0: God making a choice.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, I I don't think so. I I just I just can't wrap my brain around it. Because um, you know the. Uh, the desire of God's heart is that all will come to Him. The death of Jesus on the cross is, is said in Scripture to be for everyone. Um, for once for all is once for all time, once for all people is the way that I see those passages playing out.
0: See, I would I would disagree in that. I, for example, First um, John two two says um he's the propitiation for our sins only but not for our sins only but for the sins of the whole world Mm -hmm. i would look at that and see the word world being used there um curios in the greek not curios that's the word um now cosmos excuse Mm me um and i don't really know how that works out but i just wanted to show you i knew a greek word um (laughs) and it makes me sound more intelligent anyway um and the word cosmos there it refers to a an orderly system where we get the word cosmology from uh-huh. um and so i would look at that and say when god wants it from the or say or john 360 in the ultimate verse right for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son i look at that as when the old when the new testaments written it's in a context i always tell my students the bible's not written to us but for us so who's okay. the bible written to the early church who are struggling with this idea now, uh, Ephesians 2, that the wall of separation has been broken down between Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who were once afar off are now come near, because of the blood of Christ. So I look at those passages saying that look, even again, keeping on with with John's literature in Revelation 5, that people from every tribe, tongue, people and, and nation coming before the throne. So God is saying, I want people from all over the world to be saved not just one geographic location or okay. one race but people from all over the world. are For example like we would use that uh you know if I talk about World War II um what do I mean by World War II? A war that was fought throughout the world. It wasn't fought in every corner of the world. I'm sure there was a place in Topeka Kansas that wasn't fighting mm-hmm. um but it was all over the world involving even most of the countries I don't mean my World War II that every person who ever lived or ever will live fought in that war. So I I interpret that as being a general statement and not specifically every person who ever lived and ever will. In fact, I think that's...
1: But if you stop at, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believed... But it goes on to say, whoever believes in him will not perish but have... And I agree with that
0: 100%. Right. Whoever wants to be saved can be saved. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. But, I, but who, who is it that wants to be saved? I would say that would be the people that God has worked in and worked through and elected before the foundation of the world.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you know, God, I, I just don't, I can't go there when I read other passages that talk about God's desires for everybody to come to him. Now, obviously, a lifetime of rejecting God will lead towards hardness of heart. Right. We see that not only with unbelievers like Pharaoh, we see it with somebody who, at least at first appearance, seems to be a believer, was one of the 12, Judas. Right. Um, Right. to To take that the freedom to choose to accept God's offer or to reject it away from people, it it just makes people into nothing more than uh, robots. And I see. I
0: don't believe that. I, I don't believe that's what Calvinism teaches. That you don't have the ability to choose anymore, because I think everyone has the ability to choose. But the question is, what are what are we basing that ability to choose on? Um, for example, I give this example to my students all the time, and it's horrible. But um, If you were to offer me a salad in one hand or a bacon cheeseburger in the other, I am going to go with the bacon cheeseburger every single time. Yeah. Um, but no one's putting a gun to my head to do that. Um, so I, I believe we choose according to our nature. And again, I think you... you, you what I... Agree with what you said last week is that everything rises and falls in that whole idea of total depravity. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe man is born with a sin nature, and so given the choice, he's going to sin. What do sinners do? They sin. And so, given the choice to do that, they're going to sin. Which is why I believe that getting into that idea of irresistible grace, that God works within the human heart to change that and to give a true choice. And then, once you have your eyes opened, like Paul on the road to Damascus mm-hmm. there's only one obvious choice and I'm going to accept that but God doesn't do that with every person um, not everyone has that road to Damascus experience where, where God intervenes and says no you're doing you're, you're going off here to persecute Christians but guess what I'm changing your plans yeah. And I don't think Paul was, was at that point was fighting anything um, so that's where I, I look at salvation is not, okay, I'm not giving you a choice, you're just going to do this, but God opens the eyes of the sinner to see, aha, there really, there really only is one choice.
1: Yeah. Well, I agree with the idea that there's only one real choice. I mean, you've got ultimately those who reject God have made a choice <laughs> to put themselves right. in the position of God, and that's and you know, the there's sin. Let me ask you this. What about yes. children who die early, like three, four, five, six years old? Are they with God for eternity or not?
0: I believe they are. Yeah. Well, um, I do too. There's a, a, a really good book on that um, by John MacArthur, another Calvinist. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> who, Safe in the Arms of God. Mm. Little book, really good. And I, I, I think he makes the case that in Scripture... Um, God makes a special provision for those children. Um, It's still the idea of grace, that they're saved. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I I, I think Scripture, you know, the the classic passage uh, going back to David about, uh, you know, David committing the sin with Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. um, and part of the punishment for that is the child is going to die. Um, And David makes a statement that after the child's passed and people are wondering David why are you you're okay you were in sackcloth and ashes here a few minutes ago but now the child's dead and you're up and you're walking around and you're eating and David says well he can't come to me but I will go to him mm-hmm. um, and I know there are some Calvinists like Wayne Gruden and others who would say that um, the children of the elect mm-hmm. are seen and I don't know if there's enough scriptural warrant to that but I think there's enough scriptural warrant to say that yes God has a Plan and a, and a protection for those children.
1: Yeah, for all children.
0: Yes, for all children.
1: Yeah. But, okay. Move on.
0: Okay, so um, let me ask you. I, I'm I'm curious um, when it comes to the issue of perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so you believe that someone could lose their salvation? Yeah. Um, what would be that? Is, is it is it just the idea because uh, that's not even even before I was a calvinist i i, I didn't I always held to some idea of eternal security and i and again, I think I agree with you from last week that I don't buy into the once saved always saved um, so you believe that someone can lose their salvation by choosing not to be they they make a conscious rejection yeah. of the faith i'm curious is there um is there any other way someone could lose their salvation? For example, if someone has committed a certain number of sins, is there what causes someone to lose their salvation? Is it just a decision I think, not to be or?
1: well, I think it's a decision to uh, not, you know, to stop believing in Jesus. Well, I mean I mean if if it were a matter of I'm not saved because I, I sin again today, Then none of us would make it. Right. If That was the criteria. It's the criteria is accepting that Jesus died on the cross and rose again to take care of those sins, that we continue to have a relationship with him, that we don't argue and battle against what he does. Or uh, I think that that's equivalent to quenching the Holy Spirit of uh just out and out saying this is this is this is rubbish this is garbage and i mean it's not uh it's the only way to life it's the only way that we can have life and have it to the full and be with god for eternity um so um is, can you continue to sin and sin, sin well and and the, the thing that I have come to realize when people wonder about their salvation, I said, you know what? You're probably okay Yeah. because you're still concerned about it. Right. I, if, I agree if, with that. If you weren't concerned about it, then I'd be concerned about you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so you believe then that you can have a, a Christian who wants to be a Christian can have assurance of his salvation?
1: Yeah, I feel very sure of my salvation. Okay. Um... Because you know it's the only thing that is sure. Right. Uh, my hope is secure in Christ. And but if it came to the time in my life, which I hope I don't think, you know, I may have made it this far. I don't see why I would change that now. Um, but if it came to that in my life where I denied Jesus, then I, then yeah, I would I would consider myself to be outside of the will of God.
0: And and, and quite frankly, I'm not going to let you do that. Well, that's... So that's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why God brought me into your life. Cause if you ever even thought that way, I'd start slapping you around.
1: Well, I mean, but in holy in, love, in, in, a, in a way that is what part of the responsibility of the church, right? You know, for so long, I've experienced in my tribe an overemphasis on getting people saved, you know, baptized, yeah. and not. Uh, providing discipleship, yeah. Providing the, you know, this is this is not the end game, right? This this is just the beginning of the end game. Yeah. The end game is living and walking and breathing and and uh, following Jesus and trying to help others
0: come to Him. But that's what I love about the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress, written by a Calvinist, <laughs> and uh, you know the story only begins. Mm -hmm. at the cross Mm -hmm. and and the rest of the book is 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 leading to the celestial city right um and so yeah even as as christians we don't salvation is not the end goal salvation is just the beginning that's why we call it a, a, a new birth yeah birth is not the end yeah so i think you and i agree that someone who denies a faith is not a christian right um the only i think the only disagreement we would have is. If that person ever did profess faith, I would say that was a false profession and that person really wasn't saved. But you would say, no, that person could have been saved, but now has rejected yeah. the faith and is not.
1: And I would base my belief about an individual on their fruit. You know, we, I think that uh, Jesus talks about, you will know them by their fruit. Right. And you know, somebody had served faithfully as a Sunday school teacher, 30, 40 years, and then decided, well, you know, I don't believe this anymore. I was, I, I just don't believe it. And whether or not they were a believer at one time, in a sense, really doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. If, that's not. You know, I mean, there, there are parables Jesus told the parable. Asked this. The father asked. He had two sons. He asked one to go do something. He said he would, and he didn't. Then the one that said he wouldn't, he did. So who did what? Did the father wanted you right. know, the one that did do it? Right. And I think that 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 fits in here because um, it's a matter of, of of living for him, and it and it doesn't. Matter. It could be at the eleventh hour. Yeah. Uh, you know, other parable Jesus told was. I decided to pay everybody the same thing. And who are you to tell me I can't? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's my, I, you agreed to this price uh, to pay, get paid, and I'm going to give the other people the same amount. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that salvation is something that we have to look forward to. And, and again, it affects the way we live our lives now.
0: Right. So let me ask you one other question. Uh, talking about the atonement. Uh, You and I actually were in here just a couple days ago. We were recording a panel discussion for my theology class. And Mm in fact, similar to the one that we aired on this podcast, but a little different, a couple different people there. Um, And Pastor Aaron White, who has been on this series, uh, said something, and I want to get your take on it. Um, He said, when it comes to the atonement, he says, everybody limits the atonement either you limit the power of it or the scope of it. So you limit the power of it in that the cross is only potential. The, Jesus didn't actually save anybody on the cross. He just made people bull, Gave them the, the, the possibility of being saved. So Jesus didn't actually save anybody. Or the idea of a limited atonement in, in the idea of God only died for his elect or God died only for those he knew would accept him. So I'm I'm curious your thoughts on that on that statement.
1: I I think that in a in a sense it's probably both because you know, I'm I, I think God he knows our heart um, but I also think that he just he leaves it to the person to choose and I don't I would never agree with Jesus didn't, didn't save anybody. <laughs> I mean, that just I, I, that foreign. That's foreign to Scripture to even think that way. So I'm not sure why Aaron goes there, uh, unless he's just trying to make his point. But,
0: and that's one of the areas, again, where I, where I struggle with, yeah. I mentioned that in the panel discussion, where I, I don't, limited atonement doesn't offend me. It actually makes sense to me. Um, but I don't ever want to be in a position where I have to explain away scripture. And I look at passages like Hebrews two nine that talk about, um, Jesus who tasted death for every man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to do theological gymnastics to explain away a verse. Yeah. And to me, that verse sticks out like, I can't deny that,
1: yeah.
0: uh, and I don't want to, even if it doesn't fit within my logical system that I've created. And, and, and both Calvinism and Arminianism are man-made systems trying, right. attempting to explain what's in the Word of God. And I don't have a problem with that. Right. Um, but I don't want to put my system above the Word of God either. So I, I, I have to submit myself to the Word. About that, in the other passage, Second uh, Peter chapter two. And verse 1, talking about false teachers who are no doubt, they are bringing upon themselves swift destruction. We're talking about, I believe that's talking eternal destruction. But Jesus, uh, Peter refers to them as denying the master who bought them. Mm-hmm. Bought has the idea of atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do I explain that away? I, I don't want to explain it away. Right. So um, that's why I really struggle with limited atonement, even though it makes sense to me. I have to submit my logic and my reason mm-hmm. to the Bible.
1: Well, and the reason it makes sense to you is you uh, accept Calvinism. <laughs> I mean, and, yeah. and it's a, it's a part of the flow from the beginning that is there. And I mean, when I look at Calvinism without... You know, which is sort of hard to do with that because it's about scripture. But yeah, I just look at covenant. Well, yes, this is a progression here that makes sense. It's logically consistent, right? And uh, the problem is God has a different idea of logic than humans <laughs> do. Thank right. God, he does. Yeah, and we're
0: talking about a transcendent God that's right. above yeah. us, and we're not going to be able uh, to simply reason God into existence or, or, right. or whatever. And so that's yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But uh, every time we get into this discussion, uh, part of me is like, you know, I mean, I'll do it, but it just seems like there's a whole lot more important things that we should be doing, like uh, sharing the gospel with uh, every person. uh,
0: Well, I I do want to, yeah, you brought that up. I do want to say, as a Calvinist, I believe that we are under command of God to evangelize the lost. Yeah. Again. Can I explain that completely? How I that Does it matter? God has said that. In fact, R.C. Sproul was talking about, uh, R.C. Sproul, you know, Calvinist of Calvinism here, um, was talking about a, a time he said in, in seminary, and this Professor John Gerstner, uh was asking everyone that same question. Why should you bother to evangelize if God will save who he saves anyway? Sure. And he went one by one through all the students, and, and no one had an answer and he got to R.C. Sproul, and he said, well, I he had been hard for I guess because I don't know because God said to, and Gershur said, "Do well, you think that's a small deal? The God <laughs> of the universe commanded you to do something, and you think that's not? It's like okay, I get. <laughs> so yeah, we are in under command to do that. And I believe that's how God does bring the lost, and I, and I even think um, that's how God condemns the lost mm-hmm. uh, who are in their sin because it's it, you know the example is that, you know the same sun that hardens one thing melts another. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that God even has a purpose in evangelism for people who are, quote-unquote, unelect.
1: Well, and then, of course, then you've got the argument, uh, the discussion on, well, what about those who have never heard? (laughs) And I, you know, I guess
0: it's in the hands of God.
1: Well, I disagree to it. Well, Well,
0: I don't disagree that it's in the hands of God. I don't want to say that. But... (laughs) that's why you know I, I, people kids ask me that all what about how do you solve that problem well here's the thing go yeah jesus said go go yeah. into all the world so if there is somebody in the world who hasn't heard the gospel that's mar- that's our fault
1: mm-hmm.
0: so go out and do it go out and spread the gospel go to the othermost parts of you know be a Jim Elliot and go into the lost tribes uh that haven't had human contact in and, years and or whatever sacri-
1: sacrifice yourself yeah for the the truth of the gospel. And so
0: that's that's exactly what we ought to be doing. So um
1: there you know I I think that salvation is about more than just individuals. I think it's about you know Jesus' death on the cross is sometimes you know when it, when the terminology is the world it means more than just individuals. It means systems, it means the whole earth. <laughs> I mean, everything. I mean, everything will be restored ultimately. I mean, right. I uh, mean, Romans eight. Yeah. yeah the, the uh, well, in Revelation twenty one twenty two. Right. It's it's. God is going to set things to the to the right. Yeah. To to His way ultimately, uh, definitely. You know, Jesus cry on the cross. It is finished. It's more than just yours and mine salvation. It's about what he did for his creation, the whole of his creation. Right. And that's, um, you know, I have eventually want to, if they'll ever contact me, I've been wanting to do meditation at church for a while. And, Nobody's, nobody's huh. giving me the okay yet. But I, I saw a movie John once. John Grace, if you're listening. Yeah, right, right. Like she would. He <laughs> uh, needs to. Well, yes. But uh, the um, the life of Pete Maravich. Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete. And his, his dad was a basketball coach, college basketball coach. And he, had, he took a basketball and he took a magic marker and he put it down and he said, this is what I know about basketball. Hmm. And then the ball referred and this is all that's yet to be discovered about the yeah. game and i'm like that's what i want to do. i want to take a basketball put it down and this is you yeah and here's the rest of it <laughs> the rest I mean, we get in america we get so tied up in the individual yeah and in this discussion of calvinism i mean it's about the individual and you know i mean like you said earlier it's an important discussion but there seems to be more important things that we need to yeah. be concerned with. And, and, you know, when we're having these in-family discussions, we're not dealing with people outside the family. <laughs> and that's who Jesus calls us to go to.
0: All right, I think we'll, we'll end on that note. And so our recommended resources, um, I'm going to recommend a, uh, two books for Calvinism and against Calvinism. Uh, written by uh, for Calvins, Michael Horton, who's been a guest on this pro- podcast. And then uh, Against Calvins by Roger Olson, uh, an Armenian. And I recommend getting the twi- the Twitter version, the Kindle version. It uh, has both books together, but also video clips from debates between Horton and Olson, which are really good, and I want to recommend that. And then, um, Ray, maybe you can help me. I'm thinking of a book. We're, we're talking about a global perspective or even just heaven. Uh, There's a book by N.T. Wright um, kind of on this topic. I want to say it's something about hope.
1: Surprised by Surprised hope? Surprised by hope. Is that. I don't know um, if that's what, uh, the one you're thinking of or not.
0: I think that is. Um, and anything
1: by N.T. Wright's good. So I don't know
0: about anything from N.T. Wright. <laughs> But I think that book is good. He's an um, Arminian. that's why he, Kevin's saying that. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know about new perspective is, it, but that's a whole other podcast for a different time. So anyway, so we are so we are officially wrapped up this this podcast, or excuse me, uh, this whole series on the five points of Calvinism. So again, if you want to leave your comments, you can do it uh, on our Facebook group. Uh, you can go on Twitter, Basic Bible Cast. On Twitter, or um, you see it's the same handle on Instagram, or you can call our, our hotline, our voicemail system, uh, which is just basically a Google voice number 262 427 1473. So that's 262 427 1473, or email us at basicbiblepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget all that information and our recommendations and show notes and whatnot is on our website www.basicbiblepodcast.org Alright, join us back next week we'll be talking about something new we're not going to be talking about Calvinism so if you're sick about that uh, join us back next week <laughs> Wait you know, a second, a you Calvinist just on. said
1: he's sick of talking oh, no, about not Calvinism me, Not me,
0: but if the listeners are um, join us back next week so until next week have a good rest of your week